The latest issue of Mothership Zeta is out now. We're escape artist new e-zine, bringing you the most fun in stories, reviews, and nonfiction. This issue includes a first-time reader's reaction to Octavia Butler's Xenogenesis series, insights into why fantasy animal companion stories are so close to our grown-up hearts, and an article about what it would take technologically for humanity to maintain an artificial world like the Matrix. And our unique column, The Story Doctor, by award-winning James Patrick Kelly, explains the magic sauce behind another one of our stories. Check out MothershipZeta.com for free stories and articles, and subscribe to help us keep the lights on. Podcastle, episode 431. For August 30, 2016. La Heronne by Charlotte Ashley. Rated PG-13. Includes swords, a sprinkling of magic, and feats of daring-do. Hello and welcome to Podcastle, where fantasy dreams quietly as the trappings of reality drain slowly away. I'm your host, Graham Dunlop. Sword fights. Sword fights in movies. There's something about them that just makes me grin. And I don't mean the brutal hack and slay, people being hacked limb from limb kind. I mean where there's real artistry on display and a dash of romance and daring do. From the early days of cinema right up to the modern day, sword fights are a splendid way to stage a pivotal bout of good versus evil. How many classic cinema scenes can you think of involving swords? Obi-Wan versus Vader. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Errol Flynn versus Basil Rathbone. Neo versus the Chateau. Yes, 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 The Matrix Reloaded isn't very good, but that fight scene is stellar. Any of the fights in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and possibly my favourite sword scene ever, Inigo Montoya versus the Dread Pirate Roberts. Because I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed. And all of that's without considering the literary traditions from which many of these spring. Well, I'm very happy to say that today we have something very much in that tradition in store. It's La Heron by Charlotte Ashley, which was first published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, March, April 2015. Charlotte Ashley is a writer, editor, critic and bookseller living in Toronto, Canada. She's also an Alexandre Dumas fanatic, who won the National Book Collecting Prize for her collection of his work, which includes 18 editions of The Three Musketeers, one of which is a purse. Follow her online at once-and-future.com and on Twitter at Charlotte Ashley. Your narrator this week is Nadia Niaz. Nadia is a writer, academic, language nerd, creative writing teacher and third culture kid who now lives in Melbourne, Australia. She divides what little downtime she has between cooking, knitting, painting, dancing, powerlifting, and now narrating stories for Podcastle. Find her on Twitter at Nadia Niaz. Links will be in the show notes. 
But now, prepare your sword. Choose your second. Stand ready to answer the summons. And enjoy the story. L'Aeron by Charlotte Ashley In the greyest hour of the evening of April 16, 1699, when the sun had just vanished behind the great chateau that embraced the city of Caen, but before her lantern-bearers had taken up the hooks of their trade, a gargantuan woman stooped to fit through the door of the Trois Tours Inn. Her inconvenience did not end at the door. Her steeple-crown hat, two centuries out of fashion, bumped the inn's rafters and fell askew, causing her to swear and slouch as she made her way toward the crowd clustered at the foot of the stairs. Like the other travellers there, she was road-worn and unkempt, blonde hair so filthy that it looked green in the moonlight, spilling like seaweed out of her pointed cap. But so great was the force of her presence that the lesser persons ahead of her moved aside at her approach, clearing the path to the front of the queue, where a registrar sat at a table poised over a long ledger. His pen shook as it hovered over the lists. Name? L'Aeron. Weapon? Rapier. Purse? L'Aeron stepped forward and placed a small stack of coins on the book, which the registrar smartly swept into the lockbox. And who will be acting as your second? No one. L'Aeron folded her long arms over her chest. I will negotiate my own bouts. Oh no, the registrar said, looking up. Oh no, 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 you must have a second. The rules clearly stipulate that... A distant horn blast interrupted his complaint, a piercing wolf tone that set every brass bowl in the inn ringing. L'Aeron glanced at the window and frowned. A hunt at this hour? she asked. It's nearly midnight. The registrar did not reply. He was frozen in place, only the jelly of his yellowed eyes trembling. Monsieur, Lairon asked him, are we finished? Herlikin, the man whispered. Damn him! I beg your pardon, monsieur, but if you are finished with me, I'd like my sash and token. What? The registrar's wide eyes flickered back to her, focusing again. He turned red and looked at the tournament lists again. Ah, your second? Lairon scowled. The registrar drooped and ran a hand over his now damp face. After a moment's thought, he withdrew a blank slip of paper from the ledger and started to write. Very well. Go and see Monsieur Chouinard at this address. He can escort you to the Abbé aux Dames. The hour is late, but the gendarme will help you find an assistant. At the convent? The registrar held up a tired hand. Every man-at-arms in town is already enlisted, madame. You are in no position to be particular. I suggest you call on him immediately. Lairon snatched the note and left, ducking through the door. She had not passed ten paces when a galloping ruckus preceded a party of costumed riders bearing down the tight streets of Caen at full speed. She stepped into the shadows of a tannery to let them pass, eyeing them suspiciously. The lead rider was a man dressed head to toe in shiny red leather, with a sword on either hip and a grotesque black mask like the face of the devil. He tipped his hat at her as he passed, 
his demon's face curling into a smile, flashing sharp, dog-like teeth. Harlequin. There could be no mistaking the creature. Laeron watched as the party pulled up in front of the inn, dismounted and entered. When the last of the strange riders had crowded through the door, she continued to word her destination with little more than a shrug. These were the black bouts of Gaon, after all. Duelists and mercenaries had come from all over Christendom to compete for the glory and the purse that would be awarded to the winner. It did not matter to Laeron what creatures of the other world entered the lists as well. Come they from hell, fairyland, or anywhere else, she planned to best them and to win as she had so many times before. She only needed a second. The girl on the pallet appeared to be dead. Her face was purpled and bloody, her hair dark and wet, and her body absolutely still. This did not appear to concern old Monsieur Louis-Ange Chouinard, who plunked a lantern on the nightstand next to the girl's head and gave the body a nudge with his toe. Get up, he called impatiently. You have a guest. Laeron raised her eyebrow at the sleepy canoness who had admitted them. The nuns keep prisoners? she asked. The old gendarme shook his head. She did this herself, I assure you, he replied. She's a scrapper, this one. She will serve your needs, though few would credit it. He scowled. Sister Louise Alexandrine, you'll get up or else... A hand shot out quick as a snake and took the gendarme by the belt. With a quick jerk, the girl used the man's heft to haul herself to a sit, pulling him halfway to his knees in the process. The gendarme yelped in surprise, but the girl grinned like a jackal. One of her front teeth was newly broken, and her eyes could not quite open for all the swelling. But aside from a slight swaying, she looked sound of body. Sister Louise Alexandrine, Schwiner grumbled, pulling himself free of her grip. We have need of your service, tonight. Can you walk? Is that you, Schwiner? the nun said, furrowing her brow. You just locked me up and now you're letting me out? I did not lock you up, sister. I merely brought you home. Something I remind you you were in no condition to do yourself. My thanks, Trinard. Whatever would I do without you? The girl said flatly. She turned her blurry gaze on Laeron. What is that? They call me Laeron, Laeron answered for herself. You're a nun. That wasn't my idea, the girl said and spat a red glob between her feet. A drunken nun. Laeron said thoughtfully. How old are you, girl? Seventeen. Are you really a bird? She's twenty-three, the canoness said, sighing. You've said your vows, sister. Don't remember that, the sister muttered. She hauled herself unsteadily to her feet. I can walk if you'll walk me out of here. What is it, then? You want me to plant carrots, stitch up your uniform? What's the bird woman for? I need a second, Laeron replied, a rare smile tugging at her lips. Do you know anything about dueling? Sister Louise Alexandrine stopped swaying and fixed a sober eye on the taller woman. Her gaze darted toward Chouinard. Dueling's illegal, she replied cautiously. I need a second, Laeron repeated, for the black bouts. Monsieur Chouinard has recommended you to me. The nun blinked hard and put a hand to her temple. 
Shrinao, you hypocrite. I get into a few scraps and you drag me back here, but a stranger turns up for some back alley brawling and suddenly the king's law is by your discretion, is it? Shrinao turned red up to the roots of his black hair. I dragged you back here to protect you from the blackguard with his boot on your face. I don't need your protection, Splud, said Sister Louise Alexandrine, throwing her hands in the air. I can take care of myself better than... I must beg your pardon, friends, Lairon said, stepping between the two, who looked as if they might come to blows. But I need a second, tonight. I'll attend you, Sister Louise Alexandrine answered. She scowled at Shrinard. You won't find a better sword in this town. I'd charge you, but what does a nun need with money? She guffawed at the irony. Just get me out of here. Laéron looked imploringly at the gendarme, who threw up his hands. I leave you with Madame Laéron until she is eliminated or withdraws from the bouts. He raised a warning finger at both women. But she comes back here when you are done with her, Madame. Laéron shrugged. That is not my affair. I am but a stranger here, as you say. How very fortunate for you, grumbled Sister Louise Alexandrine. Though they enjoyed the unofficial sanction of the minor constabulary like Monsieur Louis-Ange Chouinard, the black bouts of Caen were still decidedly illicit affairs, and as such maintained a cloak-and-dagger ambiance. Matches were paired and scheduled by secret organisers, the participants informed with barely an hour's notice by anonymous letter-bearers who appeared and vanished into crepuscular mists. Having received their first such summons just after a dinner of oysters in parsley butter, Laéron and the nun, who insisted on being addressed simply as Alex, were crouched on the shaded side of a moat under the Porte des Champs, looking up at the great stone fortress that was Le Chateau de Caen. Soldiers appeared at intervals to march along the bridge over their heads, but the governor was in Paris, and the castle's remaining residents seemed inclined to take the month off. Rousing drinking songs and raucous conversations rang out from within. "'Music!' cried a cloaked stranger, emerging from shadows of his own. "'I could not have asked for a more romantic setting!' As Laéron and Alex stepped into the light, the stranger unwound his long cloak in one deft stroke and heaped it upon his companion, a dwarf in a bright red hat. The taller man was dressed fancifully in gaily coloured silks and breeches, his waistcoat and jacket speckled with gemstones and draped with the same golden sash Laéron wore, marking him as a competitor in the bouts. He had a dagger at each hip, golden buckles on his shoes, and a foxish smile. Laéron took Alex by the elbow when the woman stepped forward to make their addresses. Do not give him your true name, she murmured, watching the man with shrewd eyes. Eh? I am known to every gendarme in town, madame. I have nothing to gain by hiding. It is not the law we should be wary of, sister. She gestured with her chin. That's a fairy lord or I'm a butter churn. Alex returned a sceptical look as Laéron released her arm, yet as she approached their brightly clothed opponents, her gait slowed with apprehension. The man had goat-like eyes and long ears which tapered to points amidst his golden curls. The man's little second, upon closer inspection, 
was a toadstool. My lord, she bowed. I am, you may call me Chant des Oiseaux. My companion is known as Laéron. May I ask whom we have the honour of meeting tonight on this field of battle? Birds, the man said, looking delighted. Oh, this will be fun. Mademoiselle Birdsong, the toadstool said, its face little more than nicks in its stem. I am Agaric, and this is my master, the Count of Hunter's Fields. Well met. We hope you will do us the honour of setting the terms for this bout. Alex glanced over her shoulder at Lairon, who nodded. Our thanks. I propose the duel be fought to the third blood, or until either person be unable to continue. Blades only, no blows, nor child's play. In the case of dishonourable conduct, the second shall take up the blade of the participant and conduct herself as she deems appropriate. How does this suit you? Very well, the toadstool gurgled. Shall we inspect the blades? Alex bowed in response. The Count's daggers were ornate but mundane weapons, containing no trickery that the nun could see. The inspection complete, the seconds returned to their masters. I don't like this. Alex muttered, as Lairon removed her own cloak and hat. These things have come from Elfland to compete in honourable bouts? I don't believe it. There's bound to be tricks or treachery. I know, Lairon replied, so we must be ready for that. They allowed Harlequin and his band to enlist. Whatever they are, we must defeat them if we are to win the purse. Harlequin? Alex looked startled. Of the hunts? I think I know that tale. You should, Lairon told her. These are not simply bored wood sprites from the Forêt de Rouvray. Harlequin has led his hunt through these lands since the time of the Conqueror, seeking souls to take back with him to Hell or Fairyland or wherever he goes. Deal with this lot as if your soul depended upon it, Sister Birdsong. Keep your wits and keep an eye on the little fellow. Lairon removed her purse last and slapped it into Alex's hand with a warning look. Lairon took her place opposite the Count and eased herself into a fighting stance. Despite her much greater reach, the elf looked unconcerned, spinning his daggers on his palms and humming along with the drunken soldiers in the keep. Lairon was prepared to launch an all-out attack when the first strains of new music tickled her ears. This new tune wasn't coming from the keep, but the other direction, out in the fields. She skipped back a step into the shadows, lowering her sword a few inches and expecting the Count to do the same. If they were discovered dueling, they would both be thrown out of Caen and the bouts. But the Count did not move even as the music grew louder, a chorus of pipes and whistles playing Norman peasant music. Lairon glanced askew, trying to see where the noise was coming from without turning from her opponent, but she could see nothing in the gloom beyond moonlit grass and tangles of heather. Lairon stepped deeper into the shadow of the bridge overhead and did not see the thrust of the knife that flew past her cheek like a mercury dragonfly. First blood, the toadstool announced triumphantly. Lairon shook her head, confused. The Count was still ten paces from her, looking at his dagger as if he was surprised to see the blood on it. Alex frowned, indicating she had not seen the Count move either. It's the music in the fields, 
Laeron called to her second, shaking her head again to clear her thoughts. Find the revelers and silence them. What music? Alex called, but Laeron did not hear her. The Count grinned like a cat, waltzing from side to side with his knives bared. You don't like it? Come, Laeron, dance with me. The steps are not so different from the ones you know. I'm sure you will agree. Step and two, three. Step and two. Shut up! Laeron cried and threw herself at her opponent. Her rapier cut broad strokes across the air in front of her, though she had not yet closed the distance between them. Her sword collided with an unseen blade, tossing aside the dagger nobody had seen the Count throw. She bore down hard with a furious rainstorm of thrusts, which the Count, surprised and one-handed, could not parry completely. One, two shots fell home, blossoms of a blue-purple blood unfurling on his fine waistcoat. The third and final blow looked inevitable when Laeron was abruptly pulled back, twirled in an ungainly pirouette, and skipped two steps back again. She cried out in frustration. You're a terrible dancer, the Count reprimanded her. The second dagger now returned to his hand. I shall give you lessons. Laeron jerked to and fro, struggling to maintain a defensive position as the silent music played her like a puppet, the Count mirroring her staggered steps with his wicked smile. At the whirring periphery of her vision, she could see Alex darting along the verge of the fields, seeking any trace of the music that had bewitched her companion. There! Laeron cried, directing Alex with her gaze to where Agaric landed a discreet hop, then stood absolutely still. Behind him lay a new trail of tiny mushrooms, already half-circling the dueling pair. He had planted half a fairy ring in a matter of minutes, and if he were allowed to complete it, Laeron would be lost forever. Alex ran to the circle and kicked over a troop of mushrooms. The music Laeron was powerless to resist erupted into a discordant blast of horns, deafening her to anything else. Alex staggered and clutched her head, but continued to trip along the line, kicking and tearing the fungi into pieces as fairy horns exploded in their minds like a fanfare to agony. The Count's face turned green with fury and Agaric closed on Alex at a rushed waddle but their complaints were obscured by the cacophony. Alex bared her teeth like an animal and continued her destruction of the new colony. When Agaric was within reach, she kicked him as well. The spongy flesh of his cap did not explode under the solid toe of her boot, but he staggered, sagged, then went still. The nun clamped her hands over her ears and finished ripping up the ring. And then, suddenly, there was silence. Laeron stopped spinning, grimaced and lunged unsteadily at the Count, who now watched her with horror and fear in his goat's eyes. Though she was dizzy and exhausted, her aim was sure. She slashed at his left arm, skillfully drawing a clear line of blood harmlessly from his biceps. Third blood, Alex said, though Laeron could not hear the words for the ringing in her ears. A burst of wind hit her back, causing her greasy blonde hair to whip in all directions, then fall flat just as abruptly. The Count of Hunter's Fields smiled reluctantly and bowed. Very well, he conceded. The match is yours.
He turns to Alex. Well played, Birdsong. Laeron sat by the fire at the Trois Tours that evening with a long-necked guitar in her lap as Alex and Schwinard watched her tune the six strings. She plucked out intricate études with each twist of the pegs, testing the capabilities of the instrument the Count of Hunter's Fields had just given her. I would never have guessed you could play so well, Schwinard complimented her as her long fingers flew through another dazzling storm of notes. I can't, Lyron replied bluntly. I have never played a note in my life. Alex's jaw dropped. The elf gave you an enchanted instrument? Probably, Lyron answered thoughtfully. She turned to the embarrassed tavern musician now sulking in the corner. You, Monsieur Moustache, lend me your flute, friend. I won't be a moment. She accepted it with the tip of her tall hat and blew into it experimentally. Moments later, she was playing as breakneck a reel as any troubadour ever did. She stopped abruptly, mid-note, and handed the flute back. No, I fear Monsieur le Comte has given me the ability to play. He has given me music. That's incredible, Alex enthused, now recovered from her initial shock. What a gift! I suppose, Lyron said, picking up her cup of wine. She studied the other residents of the inn, most of whom were competitors in the bouts. Though it looks to me as if Herlikin's folk have been distributing gifts rather liberally and not with fair intention. Indeed, some of the other participants in the bouts were looking unwell. The big man, known locally as Lourson, wept endlessly at the far end of the bar. The flamboyant Marquis de Jarzet had suddenly gone completely bald. The Bavarian Lara was complaining loudly that the wine tasted of turnip greens and Jean-François de Monoté kept taking his clothes off. Nobody had escaped the attentions of the surgeon, and it showed. They all lost their matches, you know, Schwinard said. Only you and Saint-Germain defeated Herlikin's hunters. He looked at Laeron. Saint-Germain has a new hound, a gorgeous beast. Do you think Herlikin's folks are gambling without our knowing it? Alex suggested. Gifts for the winners and losses for the losers? Good God, I hope not, Schwinard murmured, but looking about the room, it was difficult for any of them to think otherwise. Something to consider, Sister Birdsong, Laeron said, draining her cup, when you negotiate my next bout. Let us hope for a human opponent, Laeron muttered, kicking pebbles at a crossroads just outside the city. Alex stomped her feet and rubbed her arms, trying to keep warm. What? No! Bring another elf lord. Just think, Lyron, what gifts you might earn. I have heard that fairy folk have living horses of pure gold and swords which, when broken, become two. Oh, perhaps... Sister Birdsong, Lyron said, looking stern, do not ever think you can best a fairy. Even when you win against these creatures, you lose. <sniffs> Alex scoffed, still a little tipsy from their evening at the Trois Tours. You've bested them already. You and I, Lyron, they have not seen a pair like us, not in any world. Lyron shook her head, but said nothing. The younger woman was all bravado, drunk more on the freedom and excitement of the bouts than the cheap burgundy they'd shared. She did not need to ask how a woman of spirit and skill at arms found herself bound to a nunnery. 
It happened to all too many young people. She'd have been born to the wrong person at the wrong time and with no better prospects, gifted to the church without further ado. Lairon could not help but think it was a pity. The young woman was an excellent companion and there was much she could teach her. She was wasted as a nun. The pair who eventually arrived were, to Alex's great satisfaction, decidedly not human, but were drunk as stoats regardless. Lairon's opponent was the smaller of the two creatures who wove unsteadily up the street, a gnarled old fellow with unnaturally long limbs attached to a cauldron-like torso, no neck to speak of, and a nose as long as a trout. His golden sash tangled in his legs as he walked, and the barrel-chested brute at his side kept stepping on the tattered end which dangled in the dirt, tripping them both. Alex's grin glinted with wickedness. My ladies, the old fairy bowed, drawing a long rapier with a flourish, which trimmed his second's long moustache. Well met. I am the uh, former Duke of Berrymines. This is my son, Broad Benjamin. This matter's already ours. Alex snickered into Lairon's ear as she moved to negotiate the bout. Lairon sighed, but could not disagree. Do not fall into greed, Lairon could only caution her. Alex shrugged, but was careful in her negotiations. In addition to the same terms as the first match, she got the big second to agree that Lairon would lose nothing which would be missed in case of a loss. The old duke dropped into a low crouch and extended a wobbly blade in Lairon's direction, listing to the right the longer he stood still. His first limp thrust licked the air to her left a good three feet wide of her hip. Expecting a trick, Lairon held back, tapping her opponent's blade away with care when he stumbled at her with a second overambitious lunge. Alex rolled her eyes from the tree line. When the old fellow's third lunge appeared bound directly toward the dirt at Lairon's feet, she stepped forward and aimed a steady blade at his unprotected shoulder. With his weight behind the drooping thrust, his tip was likely to become stuck in the earth, and one hit might easily become three. This match, which had already come to embarrass her, would be at an end. Alex grinned as Broad Benjamin slid down the tree next to her to hunker on his broad bottom. But the ex-duke's sword never did sink into the ground. A snail the size of a fist glistened in the moonlight as it passed between them, finding itself exactly at the point in the crossroads where the doomed thrust was bound. Berrymine's rapier hit the centre of the tiny spiral and slid off its shell with a muted tink. With nothing to support his weight, the old fairy fell flat on his stomach as the tip of his blade deflected upward just enough to draw a line along the surface of the road and to pierce the leather of Lairon's boot. God's blood! Lairon barked, nearly tripping on the man's head and stumbling into the space where his shoulder used to be. She hopped on one foot, trying to regain her balance as a telltale stickiness seeped from the cut at her ankle. Broad Benjamin looked up, startled. First blood? he asked cautiously. Alex looked stricken. Lairon swore again and limped angrily away from her fallen opponent. Yes, damn it, she growled. 
Get up, you old fool. My deepest apologies, madam. My most sincere apologies. Barry Mines kowtowed as he struggled to his feet. Laeron stomped on the snail and kicked its cracked shell out of her way as she took up her position again. En garde, she snapped. She did not hold back this time. Barry Mines was barely in position when she attacked, cutting with quick, short strokes toward his torso. He scrambled backwards, pinwheeling her blade away when he was lucky enough to hit it, trying to prevent her from coming within striking range. When he tripped the second time, she stepped back, assuming a defensive position and a suspicious look. The ex-duke landed on his rear end with a shout of surprise. His boot was trapped awkwardly under an exposed cedar root that pulled up like a submerged rope the more he tried to shake his foot free. Lairon waited with increasing impatience as he jerked and pulled, packed earth spraying as the very veins of the forest tore toward the surface. The ground around Lairon's feet shook and shifted as buried roots crested. Stop that! Lairon demanded, taking staggered steps to avoid getting caught in the roots herself. My apologies, my apologies, Barry Mines muttered, the forest's very underpinnings coming loose the more violent his thrashing became. I've just got to get unstuck, you see. Trickery! Alex yelled, reaching for the sword at her own belt. Be still, old man, or I will... Ah! Lairon cried out as a net of roots wound its way around her foot and pulled. She fell backward, dropping her sword. The blade bounced on the churning earth, twisted midair and caught her on the forearm. Second blood, Broad Benjamin called, looking amused from where he was still sitting under the tree. Isn't, Alex gasped. It was her own blade that cut her. Counts, I think, Broad Benjamin shrugged. She's bleeding. You nobly bastard, Alex growled, advancing on the seated creature with her sword drawn. Even without rising to his feet, he stared her down eye to eye. Sister Birdsong! Lairon rebuked her, unsnagging her foot and standing. Help the ex-duke up, now! Very kind, very kind, Barry Mines tittered, lolling about on the ground. The forest had ceased its quaking as he stopped struggling. Alex ground her teeth audibly as she violently sheathed her sword. Her handling of the ex-duke was also less than gentle, but the old fairy was soon on his feet and armed once more. Lairon resumed her position and Alex resumed hers, looking grim. Are you ready? Lairon asked simply. Ah, Barry Mines replied with a short bow. Lairon lowered her sword and walked casually up to her wavering opponent, past the tip of his sword, which quivered too late, as if he couldn't decide how to follow her. She stood next to him as if he were unarmed and smiled. Then she poked him in the thigh three times in quick succession. Match, she said to him, bowing a final time and sheathing her sword. Alex's jaw dropped, though the elf lords merely shook their heads. Why did that work? Why didn't he spit you like a pig? Alex demanded, rushing to Lairon's side and looking her over. You sure you haven't stubbed your toe or... It doesn't take any luck at all to skewer an opponent who offers themselves to you, Lairon explained. Just a straight, simple shot. 
The former Duke of Berry Mines bowed, unperturbed, in acknowledgement of her assessment. Well played, madame, well played. I never have been very good at doing things the easy way, I'm afraid. You're amazing, Alex enthused as they escorted the stumbling fairies back to the inn. How do you feel? Any different? What did you win? Lairon shrugged and stretched her arms, inspecting her hands. I have no idea. I do feel rather alive. Probably the excitement of the match. Oh, no, madame, Berry Mines said, leaning heavily on her arm. I've given you the last twenty years of my life. He blinked sleepily. I wasn't going to do much with them anyway. Alex stopped walking and stared at the old fairy in shock. You've given her twenty years of life? Splut! She started walking again, deep in thought. You lot give God a run for his money. Lairon shot her a sharp glance, but Alex looked away. Their celebrations were short-lived. They received their third summons just before dawn. Chouinard delivered the note, his face as white as a sheet. You're to fight Herlican himself, he told Lairon. He insisted, and they gave it to him. He has never been defeated by a child of God, not in six hundred years. Their match was fixed for midday. Alex and Lairon sparred before breakfast, both needing the physical release only the clash of swords could bring but they were driven inside again by thunder and clouds, which rolled in from the sea like heaven's host, shrouded in black billows. As the church bells started to ring for morning mass, raindrops as fat as mice fell all at once over the city of Caen, flooding the streets. Lairon sat at the water-cloaked windows of the Trois-Tours, watching the river forming outside. I think there was a fish falling from the sky, she said, squinting at the drowned world. Frogs and leeches. This is an ominous rainfall. Perhaps Herlican will melt, Shuinao suggested, trapped inside with them. More likely he called the channel down upon us, Lairon replied. Damn him. Is it midday yet? Two hours later the rain stopped as abruptly as it had begun, the clouds parted, and the noonday sun shone down over the sparkling water-filled streets. Pollywogs slid into the Trois-Tours when Alex and Lairon opened the door to depart. The water was thigh-deep and filled with lakeland life, swarming the two women as they waded, cloaks floating behind them toward the southern gate. The streets were deserted, miraculously free even of waterlogged cats or chickens washed out of their yards by the storm. The sun twinkled off closed windows all around them. It was as if the strange rain had washed every person of Caen away with it. Herlikin stood atop the southern wall where soldiers should have been. His leather suit shone as if it had been newly painted with the blood of men, and the mask which was his demon's face glinted like polished obsidian. They were met at the gate by a beautiful woman robed in a blue indistinguishable from the sky. When she smiled, she showed blackened teeth and a forked purple tongue. I am Morrigan, and you are welcome, ladies. My lord Herlikin has the honour of meeting you in battle today. Her voice melted into the air like a drizzle of honey into the pot. Alex and Lairon exchanged a wary look. 
I am Birdsong and this is Madame Lairon, Alex said, unable to keep a quaver of unease from her voice. Will you do us the honour of stating your terms? Most gracious, ma chère. I propose nothing difficult, simply a duel to first blood. I don't foresee any complications. First, Alex frowned, but Morrigan's mocking smile roused her blood. Naturally, she snapped. That is the simplest thing. Only, perhaps a little wager? Morrigan looked amused. Do you birds need something from Helican then? Brave of you. I need nothing, Lyron put in, looking alarmed. Sister Birdsong, a moment. Alex ignored her, but Morrigan raised an eyebrow. Sister? She closed her eyes and took a deep breath, as if tasting the air. Oh my, yes, a daughter of God. Don't you smell sweet? Her forked tongue flitted over her teeth, then retreated. Yes, I think we could add a little more flavour to this match. Name your terms. Play for me, Alex blurted, spitting the words out. If Madame wins, I belong to her. Sister, Lairon cried, don't be stupid. And a nun for Harlequin if he wins. Very tempting. But ma chère, you belong to your god. Alex squared her jaw. That isn't a problem for you, is it? Morrigan laughed. No, sister, it is not. I confess I did not think you could offer us anything but this. Her lips lifted over her sharp teeth. We agree to your terms. I do not, Lyron protested. It is done. Morrigan quickly glanced at the tall woman. You knew we would have to play for something, madame. Lyron ground her teeth together and glared at the back of Alex's head. After a moment's silence, she waded off to join Herlikin. The duelists bowed and assumed their positions atop the butter-coloured walls, surrounded on both sides by the waters of the storm-brought lake twenty feet below them. Herlikin was twice as tall as Lyron remembered. He wielded two long swords in the German fashion, neither blade as long or as swift as Lyron's, but heavy, dangerous-looking affairs nonetheless. She could see no eyes in the black pits of his demon's face, yet somewhere in their depths, Lyron sensed damnation. Herlikin moved first. He swung one blade down, a lightning strike sent straight for her heart, whirling the second like an echo toward her thigh. For her part, Lyron stepped back and twitched her sword's point at the back of Herlikin's gloved hand. First blood needn't be fatal. Herlikin repeated this cleaver-like attack three, four times, advancing on Lairon each time, forcing her further and further back toward a turret. The fairy lord was tireless, and Lairon's counter-attacks hadn't enough weight behind them to breach his leather hide. Still, Lairon's face showed only focus and control, study and thought. As Herlikin drew up for the fifth attack, Lairon's heel scraped against the stone wall. Herlikin guffawed to see her trapped, unable to retreat further, but Lairon's lip only twitched in annoyance. As the great swords fell toward her with the weight of judgment, she quietly lowered her weapon, flattened herself against the turret and twisted to face the wall's ledge. She scrambled spider-like onto the lip, faced the water-filled fields, spread her arms, and jumped. 
Her escape was obscured by an explosion of yellow rubble and dust as Harlequin's blow ripped through the tower. A moment later, the blood-red hunter leapt onto the ledge and dove after his quarry. Twenty feet later, there was no splash. Alex rushed for the stairs, her pace slowed by the deep water. She took the steps three at a time, with Morrigan at her heels, raced along the wall toward the ruined tower, and threw herself at the wall's ledge, gripping the stone with white fingers. The sparkling green water appeared to stretch out to the horizon, broken only by ripples where the long grass swayed below the waves. There was nothing else. No bloody flush, no floating corpse, no froth of struggle, and no sign of Lairon nor Helican. Alex glanced at Morrigan, whose perfect face was muddied by confusion. What sort of creature is she? Morrigan murmured, sounding almost impressed. Alex kept her eyes on the water. Lairon, she muttered. At this invocation, the surface of the water broke. A snake-like neck preceded a white spray of water where sheets of blue-grey feathers unfurled and took flight. Long scaled legs trailed behind the lithe bird, clutching a rapier in one talon. The blade was too long and too heavy for feet built for gripping fish, and the heron struggled to escape the pool of the water. After a few moments flapping awkwardly too close to the water's surface, a red fist punched out of the depths and took hold of the free leg, forcing the blade to tumble from her grip and her body back into the mire. No! Alex cried and vaulted over the edge. The long drop took no time and the shallow water did little to break her fall. With a pained cry, she pushed off the ground and lurched in the direction of the duelists, catching up the sword sinking hilt first into the flooded field. Harlequin had surfaced now, with the thrashing heron's neck caught in one hand like a chicken for the slaughter. Better one lost than two, Alex muttered. If Lairon bled, Alex would be lost. If Lairon died, they both would be. So she thrust. She thrust gently, careful to avoid slitting the heron's long neck, which snaked and curled as she pecked at Harlequin's face with her pointed beak. Alex thrust for the heron's chest, where she hoped the bird had the most muscle. She thrust so slowly that in the space between beats of the wing, between blinks, the heron vanished and the long, pallid lines of a naked woman appeared where the bird's breast used to be. The weight of her transformation caused Harlequin to buckle, surging forward into the slow path of the incoming blade. Lairon's arm shot out and covered Alex's grip on the hilt. Together, they drew a razor-straight line of black blood along Harlequin's neck, just above the collarbone. Harlequin and Lairon collapsed into a messy heap in the water as a burst of wind hit Alex clean in the face. She dropped the blade and clutched her chest instead. She staggered back a few steps as both duelists splashed to a stand. First blood? Alex croaked. Does it count? For a few quiet moments, nobody answered. Yes, Lairon barked, pushing Harlequin away from her and fishing around in the water for her soggy clothes. It bloody well counts. 
She turned on Harlequin and shook an angry finger in his face. Don't like it, monsieur? Argue with fate. Mademoiselle Birdsong's soul has been gifted to me. It has? Alex said, frowning and poking her chest. Yes, Lyron waded back toward the gate, clothes bundled under one arm and her sword in the other. Next time, negotiate better terms. Breaking one bondage and tying up another. Not smart, Birdsong, not smart. Next time, Alex trailed behind her. Yes, next time. You're free of your god now. You belong to me instead. What else did you think we would do? We go to the next town, the next tourney, next time. On it goes. You're a bird. Very astute. Lairon paused and turned back to Harlequin. Did your hunt come for me, monsieur? Did you hope to bring me back to Fairyland with you? Harlequin grinned, his smile reaching the tips of his ears. I sensed an attractive soul here, yes. He chuckled. Lairon bowed. Then I wish you better luck next time as well. Alex mirrored Harlequin's smile. Next time, she echoed. And welcome back. Charlotte has this to say about the story. La Heron is an homage to Alexandre Dumas, told in his spirit of camaraderie, bravado and adventure. There's also quite a bit of Susanna Clarke in there, but fairies are also creatures of bravado and adventure. The world needs more unapologetic fun and heroism, so this story aims to supply a bit. And it certainly does. I love this mashup of fairies and swords. It entertained me through and through and left a big old silly grin on my face. Loved it. Now, let's turn to feedback with our assistant editor, Khalida Muhammad Ali. Salam, good people. This is Khalida Muhammad Ali, assistant editor over here at Podcastle. Hope you've all been well. Feedback this week is for Podcastle episode 420, The Bee Tamer's final performance by our very own Aidan Doyle. Rainy Z said, Thank you for giving me my first Podcastle-inspired dream. Clowns full of bees. Ah... You are very welcome, Rainy Z. We do what we can over here at Podcastle. Unblinking said, I love this one so much. So many weirdnesses. Bee-filled clowns alone are worth the story. But there are a lot of other interesting bits, too. I find it interesting that the bees say, Tell us you are the one we love, rather than saying a more straightforward, Tell us we are the one you love. Why do the bees want to be told who the bees love? Is it that they still believe on some level that they are part of the story, but that without a storyteller, they are nothing? So it feels very important to them to have a storyteller, even if that storyteller is coerced. Anyway, super weird, super fun. I'm glad to have heard it. Obleo 21 was enamored of this tale. I love the world building in this story. It reminded me of Railsea, though it was completely different. Does that make sense? I think I need to listen again, though, because I was very confused about one major thing. The bees love eating clowns, so they stuff the dead whale with clowns. But the clowns are stuffed with bees. 
So do they stuff the whale with clowns until they've eaten the clowns inside, then use the husks of the clowns to move around? Did I get that completely wrong? I would really love to read the Book of Circus. Thank you, Rainy Z, Unblinking, Obleo21, and everyone else who stopped by to comment. Keep coming back to let us know what you think of our stories. I, for one, love hearing your varied, intelligent, and thoughtful comments about the stories we produce. For those of you who didn't leave a comment this time, I sure hope you'll jump into the fray on the next go-round by visiting the Escape Artist Forum at forum.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back next week. Hope to see you there. Peace. Thanks, Kalita. And now it's time to say goodbye, but fear not. One day we may meet again as characters in a different story. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, our four moderators Talia and Ossicat, our audio producer Peter Wood, our associate editors Crystal Claxton, Aidan Doyle, Troy Wiggins, Christiana Formella, Setsu Uzume and Arun Dewar, our assistant editor Khalida Muhammad Ali, your co-editors Jen R. Albert and myself. Thank you for stopping by and sharing this story with us. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is your host, Graham Dunlop, reminding you that I do feel rather alive, possibly the excitement of the match. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Share it all you like, but don't change or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. To find out more about them, check their website at shiva-in-exile.de. We rely on you to keep Podcastle flying. You can make a regular donation or a one-off donation at the Podcastle website. Please, if you can, go to podcastle.org and find the Support Us section down the right-hand side. How could I not end this episode with a quote from Alexandre Dumas from The Three Musketeers? All for one, and one for all, united we stand, divided we fall. <laughs>